to the Diary of a Sales Expert podcast. My name's James White, and I'm on a mission to help business owners and sales professionals all over the world get incredible sales results. So thanks for listening, and let's get started. And welcome to another episode of the Diary of a Sales Expert podcast. Absolutely delighted that I've got uh, a an incredible author, a lady called Melina Palmer, whose book I'm going to be sharing some at the end of the podcast, um, a competition to uh, win one of Melina's books. She's incredible. Uh, it's it's I think it's transformed the way I sell and try and engage with people. So um, just an absolute honour. Thank you for joining me, Melina Palmer. How are you? Oh well, thank you. I love it's my you know ultimate goal of any of this type of work to hear that it's. Uh, you know, helped someone to that they're actually implementing and using it and enjoying it. That's that's you know life goals. So thank you. Just, look, we're going to go into lots of questions, and I asked a few people on online as to some questions they had, which we'll come to in a moment. But talk to me about your background before we start. For those who don't know you, and obviously I've had a look, look at you, obviously connected on LinkedIn and your background. But talk about your background and what made you get into behavioral economics and what is behavioral economics? There's probably three questions in one there. So. All good. Uh, And, you know, it's uh, common because behavioral economics isn't something that lots of people know about yet. Uh, And so definitely is a question I get a lot. So um, my background uh, would be that uh, I got my undergrad actually in marketing and uh, business administration. And as far as how I came across and found behavioral economics is I was in my undergrad and there was one section of one book and one course, it's like little tidbit that was talking about buying psychology and why people do the things they do. And I thought it was just the most fascinating thing. And I had never really thought about extended education from that point. I'm a first uh, generation college graduate uh, in my family. And so like master's degrees and doctorates, you know, isn't something you really thought about um, or I didn't. And, but then I saw this and thought, oh, like someday I'm going to go back. I'm going to get a master's in this because it's just the coolest thing. And I spent the better part of 10 years calling universities and asking them about programs that they had in the space. And they all said, like, that's not a thing. It doesn't exist. We don't have that. Um, you know, you can create a pro, you can create the program if you want, which is like, well, like if I knew what I needed to learn, I don't need to pay you. Right. So I just sort of uh, worked in industry for a while and got into a program. The best way I've found to describe it is kind of like an innovation fellowship. It was this two-year program um, that was in the industry. I was in uh, credit unions and financial institutions. And at one of these events we were at, they brought in people from what's called the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University, which is their behavioral economics wing. They were talking about the work they were doing and their research. And I realized it was what I had been looking for uh, for a decade. And they said it was called behavioral economics. And I found myself a master's program and jumped right in. And so I knew I was pretty early in the field because I had spent so much time trying to find it. Uh, But on the applied side, it was even more than I realized so that there was a lot happening in academia but not necessarily in how to use it in business and even in my classes and things. And so as I got more acquainted with it and I knew somebody who had a podcast that encouraged me to start one, she had a very successful podcast, still does. And it was really the first of its kind in the world. And so then so many people found it and that just 
took off and and kept going. And it's something I find human behavior to be fascinating and to learn more about our brains and how they don't work the way we think they do. Um, you know, people don't do what we think they should, which uh, we all, or what we even know we should do, what we want to do. We often don't do those things. Uh, but to have that predictability, to know what people will often do and um, little changes in the way that you communicate to be more brain friendly. That's what I help my clients with. Uh, and really, I focus on the areas of getting customers to buy and employees to buy in by communicating in a more brain friendly way. And you've obviously made a fantastic job because you've got the books on the background and which you're here because because tell me how many copies now of this is this book is sold worldwide. It should be millions. If it's not, we'll get there. We'll be promoted. <laughs> I know not 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 millions yet, but we'll we'll see where we go. It's definitely in the in the thousands of books, right? As you go with these, but it's amazing. As we know, I had mentioned, and when we're recording last week, uh, we had um, we hit the million download mark on the Brainy Business Podcast, which is amazing and something you know earmarked, you know, very very early in as something that's a, a really big milestone that you know, don't think you'll ever actually hit. And then it happens. And now there's a new dream, I guess. But um, yeah. And then the third book actually come is coming out in January. It's uh, called The Truth About Pricing. So I think that is something that will be very interesting to this audience as well. Okay. And so as, would you consider yourself, you know, do you see your, what you're doing now as becoming your, your, your vision and your mission to become an author, to create more books? <laughs> Like, did I, did I see myself as a book writing machine? Uh, <laughs> Potiphar, right? Because she's a, 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 she's a, 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 a book machine, but it was a book machine and still is. But uh, so you're going to be, you're going to be writing lots of these things every year. What's uh, your word? I know the uh, three books and a baby in three years is maybe a bit much. So I'm putting a little bit of a theoretical pause on on books at the moment i already know you know what the next one would likely be and have you know two or three that i know could be part of this series or uh that can come out into the future but for now uh focus on you know the three that are there they they really just dovetail so nicely and go together for business and so um i'm excited for these three to exist and you know the one it's currently just on pre-order but it it'll be here before we know it so yeah amazing and just talking back to also you know the podcast that i work with is people that are in sales and business and and lots of companies that that are always trying to look for that magic sort of as to how to get people to um understand why people don't buy what's it what why is it do you think that 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 it's taken so long for some of the world to wake up to behavioral economics yeah i think that um, you know, in some one main reason is likely just because we do have a status quo bias and, you know, some of the authority bias, familiarity bias. We're looking at the way things have always been done and it feels like that's how it's supposed to be. And uh, we know what we know and don't often think about all the things that we don't know. And so where traditional economics models were, you know, established and then people just sort of accept them as like this is how it is this is this is the world this is the model because we learned it uh you know in in school and you know it takes effort and a lot of research and things for people to go in and say but is it like I, it doesn't i don't it doesn't feel that way and to realize that it's not just kind of a one off experience right you need enough people having enough conversations about how something seems like it's not quite right 
and then taking that next step to go investigate and then knowing what to even look for and how to test for it and start to figure things out. So, um, you know, Kahneman and Tversky, who did some of the initial uh, really, you know, groundbreaking work in the field was back in the 70s, uh, you know, and so it's been decades of research that the field is being built on and then Thaler's research after that um, and more and more uh, that's come up. And we've had a couple Nobel Prizes come out of the field and things over the years. And it's still just uh, taking time to be adopted because the other thing is, because the brain doesn't work the way that we think it should and what seems how we think we would want to be communicated to how we would like to think we all make decisions is proving to be not correct. Uh, but we don't like to think that, you know, that subconscious brain is really running the show and using these predictable rules of thumb. It's not something that some people like to admit to, but when you really do stop and think about it, you go, well, yeah, <laughs> Like I really do all these things and uh, so much that's done habitually and whatnot. So having your eyes opened up to it helps for people to understand. And there've been some great, you know, mainstream books and the field is gaining more popularity um, over the, you know, definitely the past decade um, and probably 20 years, but being able to get more out there and more awareness just helps then more people to realize that it is a thing and it's something that we should be talking about and implementing more and more. It is. And I'm not quite sure who, I don't know how I came across your book, but I, met, I know, I think I said to you when we were talking initially that, you know, I read John A. List, The Voltage Effect and hold the whole concept around how, you know, and he, I think, was on the board of, of Lyft, I think, and a few other organizations where where he was, you know, doing looking at data to make decisions rather than necessarily, you know, using this, like say, this bias that we may have to um, to, to, to preempt that. And I, and, I, and I guess the question for me is, you know, businesses, like you say, maybe they don't, uh, they don't think about it, but they all want that same goal. And I always think that the whole definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results. But yet it feels like behavioral economics, especially in my field is, you know, in your field in marketing, maybe it's growing a bit more, but in the sales field, I sometimes feel like I'm fighting a lonely battle when I say to people, right, you know, thinking like your buyer and try and get yourself. And I was talking about there's a great film with Mel Gibson called What Women Want. I don't know if you've seen the film, um, which is when I always say to my, you know, customers and people I work with, try and be like Mel Gibson in that film. Like your job is to get inside their brain. Uh, and obviously you've got the two parts of the brain even worse to try and get in and to understand how they operate. But yeah, maybe it feels like that people do. What's your experience of salespeople using behavioral economics? Is it, have you seen many companies that, or even salespeople, start to go? Actually, I can really see how this can have an effect for them. Have you got you know some, some examples that you could share with us that, that will help maybe other people listen and think, I need to, I need to do this. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, my work in the books and the podcast, definitely lots of people in sales, and I have a lot of small business owners. I work. Um, with a lot of small business owners in my consulting work um, and small, mid-sized businesses, what have you. And it's a very similar space, right? Because when you own a business, you're, you're selling and creating and doing all the things all the time. And people have found that, you know, communicating in this more brain-friendly way and being more thoughtful really does have an impact on, on closing sales. And I've had, you know, clients and students from, from Google and um, down to, like I said, to solopreneurs, right? So, uh, and people that are working in sales that I know are using what they're they're learning. So just even some basic examples would be, 
one of my very favorite concepts from the book and it's the, well, from the field, it's the first of 16 main concepts that I go into and what your customer wants and can't tell you because don't think you need the hundreds of them that exist. I picked, you know, top 16 to focus on. And the first of them is framing. And it is the first chapter of this section for a reason. And it is because I think it's the easiest thing for people to implement across the board and start to test with, because all it looks at is that how you say something is more important than what you are saying. And so often we can be putting things out there and people aren't wanting to buy. They're not interested. It's it, And you can think, oh, the it's too expensive. Or even someone may say, oh, you know, it's too expensive or there's too much or I can't do that right now. But really, it's not usually about the thing that people think it's about or they say it's about. And very often, it can just be in the way that you're presenting the information. So with framing, uh, you know, and one of my favorite um, examples here is, you know, you imagine you go to the grocery store, uh, you're going to get some hamburger, and they have two different stacks that are almost identical. One is labeled as 90% fat-free, and the other is 10% fat and which one do we want to get? And across the board, like you're nodding along here, right? It's nearly everyone says 90% fat-free is the one that they want. And that is, you know, logically we know they're the same, but they feel completely different. And that is the frame that you're putting on it. So looking in your sales pitch, it might not be that there's anything off with the product or with the price or anything. It could just be that you're talking about it in 10% fat terms. And if you were to flip that frame and look for a way to say it 90% fat free, it could resonate in a way that makes people naturally choose you. And even better if in your industry, everybody talks about something kind of 10% fat like, and you can be the one person that's saying it in the 90% fat free way. It can make it so people just naturally choose you easier without you even having to do any sort of big shift to make that happen. And, and I guess a lot, you know, you also talk about two different parts of the brain that, like you say, we touched upon briefly at the start, which is the, you know, the, the unconscious brain and the conscious brain. Do you want to maybe, again, for those who haven't read it, and I'm encouraging people to go and read it, do you want to just show a little bit more about, you know, because you mentioned that earlier on in the book as a starting point around sort of how people need to understand that our brains operate in those two different ways. It may be good for people who haven't understood it and thinking, what is this? to yeah. <laughs> What are we talking about here? Yeah. So um, one of my favorite analogies, you know, comparison points is from a psychologist at NYU named Jonathan Haidt, which is to think about your brain like a person riding an elephant. So you have the logical conscious writer that has a plan and a focus and knows where it's going and can see the best way to get there is like ready to go. And then you have the elephant. And because it's not like, a car where you can make it go where you want it to, um, that writer really is at the mercy of the subconscious elephant. So if it wants to run in a different direction or go slower than you want, or to just stop <laughs> and sit down, um, you kind of stuck, you can't push or pull or logic it because they don't speak the same language. And it really is the same way with these two systems of the brain. And so that subconscious elephant is doing the bulk of the decision making. And it's doing so using predictable rules of thumb, heuristics, habits, and it's built on what has worked well in the past, either for you specifically or for us as a species over time. 
and using that to make decisions. And every so often, you know, when there's something that that subconscious doesn't have a rule for, it'll loop in the conscious brain to, you know, move forward and do something on that. Uh, but that subconscious is, is really what's happening in the bulk. And one of my favorite things to help people to really see how often this happens for us and, and to get the, you know, the gravity of it is to think about how many decisions you make on an average day. And so if you were to think to, and like, you know, for our listener here, you know, you think about yesterday, you know, how many decisions would you say you made? Do you think you make? Yeah, I think I've sort of hit the number, but it's something like thousands, isn't it? It's thousands of decisions per day whether you, you make, but you go, you tell me, I think. Yeah. So, and often, you know, people, you know, will will throw out big numbers, be like, oh, it's thousands, but like you remember making four or whatever <laughs> decisions yesterday, right? But on average, everyone makes 35,000 decisions each day. Yeah. Wow. Right. And again, you remember if you're lucky, 35 <laughs> that you made, right? And the only reason I'm older, but (laughs) (laughs) the only way that we're able to do this is because that subconscious is be able to churn through so many decisions on every day. And because the conscious, what it thinks that subconscious elephant should want and how it should make decisions, but it doesn't speak elephant is really difficult. What behavioral economics allows us to do is really kind of to turn yourself into more of an elephant whisperer to be able to understand how that buying behavior works and to be able to um, lean into that in your communication, like you said, uh, communicating to that other species in the way that it wants to be communicated to. Um, And yeah, in the case of uh, my second book, What Your Employees Need and Can't Tell You, really that's understanding change and how we communicate stuff. And one of the things I say there is, you know, we really forget that we're elephants. And this happens whether you're looking at customers or employees for buying in and remembering things that you hate, like you, there are ways you hate being sold to and you don't want to buy that way. And yet you have the spammiest LinkedIn pitch of all time, right? And you don't even realize it because you think that's how you would want to be communicated to because you you forget you're an elephant and behavioral economics allows us to communicate in that proper way. And and of course the the challenge for a lot of people is that, there is, like you say, those decisions that have been made day to day, and 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 like we said at the start, you know, it's difficult for people to think differently, to to actually think in a way that, and to become the elephant whisperer, for want of a better phrase, when when they don't want to 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 do that. But but yet, stuff that you know, and the studies and the information. I mean, again, and the things that I've read, I'm just an amateur at starting this out, but trying to geek out on it even more and more. Is that this is all backed by science, isn't it? It's all backed by data. This isn't just Melina saying something and, and you know, but this is the, the, the element of It's all backed by real evidence and data that, that shows that people in studies of this is what's happened. Right. And you have a mix of academic research as well as applied research. And that's I'm in the space of, you know, in a company, like how are we communicating and what increase can we get and uh, how can we make this so that people are more likely to open the email. People are more likely to respond to the email. People are more likely to click on this thing and how a change in the image or a slight tweak in the word choice or the color that we're using uh, or in the sales pitch, how you say something can have an impact. So bringing it 
like all the way back around to a question you asked a little bit ago that I didn't fully, fully respond to. I'm going to do it now because it fits in is thinking about framing and ways to apply it. And this really comes into, um, you know, for sales staff, for sure. Uh, So there are three main reframes that I think are the easiest ones that someone can go in and apply right away. So the first one is looking at if and changing it to when. We say if a lot. If you're interested, let me know. If you have a question, you know where to find me. If you need anything, whatever. But that just sort of falls flat, right? Like, okay, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It doesn't feel like that's going to happen or that it's natural. Whereas when we can adjust some of those ifs to whens, say, when you're ready, here's the link. Like when you have a question, I'm here. It's it's helping them to think that they're, oh, I should be asking questions. It's it's good to ask questions or whatever it is when you're ready to book a call or whatever. If they even want to come back to you as if to say, well, I'm never going to buy for you, but you've, you've at least replied to me basically, which is... Right. <laughs> yeah, so that when can be much more impactful in helping someone to see the next step and what's going to happen for them. And it's not that every if becomes a when, but being more thoughtful to that where you can reframe it can definitely have an impact. Uh, The next one, something we do all the time, is changing anyone to everyone. So we humans are a herding species. And so we look to others to help us to feel safe. This is why we care about testimonials and star ratings and reviews and whatever else. When we're looking to make a choice into something we haven't done before, we want to know that other people like us have had a good experience with this thing. So we look to the herd. Anyone is super isolating. You know, if anyone's interested here I am is just really not a great phrase, but something we use a lot, right? If anyone out there needs help, I just had a vision of Rose on the, uh, or, you know, in Titanic at the end, if there's anyone alive out there. Anyway, uh, so (laughs) good film reference. Yeah, super old one. But then you get to everyone, you know, for everyone. So when I have a guest on my show, I don't say, you know, if anyone wants a copy of Steve's book or John, right? So when John List was on the show, like if anyone wants a copy of John's book, there's a link in the show notes. Instead to say for everyone who's so excited to go get your copy of John's book, there's a link for you in the show notes when you're ready, right? Very slight reframe, but it's this implied, oh, everybody's going to get the book, right? It feels very different. So everyone helps us to feel more safe. The last one is to change, especially at the end of something and at the beginning, but uh, in an email, definitely ending on a question instead of a statement. So we are very apt, we're like conditioned to answer questions when they're presented to us. And so if you're getting ghosted a lot in those sales emails where you're saying like, Hey, if when you're ready, here I am even, <laughs> or if you want to have a call, like let me know uh, to end that on a question. So maybe you give out a couple of times and say, you know, which of those works best for you? Or is one of those going to be helpful? Or um, are there any questions, more questions I can answer for you? What did I miss? Right. These sorts of things. It's much more likely that someone's going to respond and it doesn't mean that it's going to end there and they're definitely going to pick the date you put out or whatever it is. But 
more often than not, they'll say, oh, actually, I can't do that, but I'm available Thursday. Or that they will say, uh, oh, I no, you did answer all my questions, which again is helping to enforce that you're knowledgeable and that it's helpful and that you did a good job and they'll remember that about you, right? So switching the ifs to whens, anyone to everyone and ending, cha- changing some select statements to questions, especially at the end of an email are really three simple reframes that anybody can do that can help increase responses and conversion. And it's so powerful what you've just said there. And those are three brilliant ones. And the question one is, don't I talk to people a lot about, again, in my field where I, you know, in sales, selling, I talk to people, you know, one of the common things that happens, for example, in sales, when people get an objection, for example, oh, the price isn't, is too high. The natural thing that most salespeople try and do is, oh, well, the reason the price is the way it is, is because of this, 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 and this. And I'm like, forget that. You don't want to worry because what you're doing is talking and the customers, you know, their conscious brain or something, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm in mode of listening, you know, you know you know, tell me a bit more about you know how far apart on price are we, or what would you need to see to think this is you know worth paying, or um, you know what, what you know what did we get wrong on the proposal regarding price or whatever. So ask them that question and get inside their brain to find out what's happening. Is is am I in the right path by saying what? Well, that's what I've been saying to people because if you, you can't tell people, you can't overcome an objection by talking at someone. You can't you can't make someone do something just by saying to them or talking, talking, talking at them. You've got to find out what's going on inside their head. Absolutely, and. I'm I'm all about asking thoughtful questions and you know you have to be ready really open and ready to listen to what the other person is saying. So if you are asking the question to help prove what you thought was going to be right, it's doesn't typically go over as well as if so one the truth about pricing, you know, spoiler alert for the book that's not out yet, uh, but is that pricing is almost never about the price. It, it really isn't. And everything that happens before the price matters much more than the price itself. And even if people tell you that it's too expensive or something, that's typically not what the real problem is. It's how you presented the information, uh, the sequence of events, the imagery, and there are a lot of psychological aspects here and concepts from behavioral economics that come into play. So. With that, when someone, if someone does say, oh, it just feels expensive, even, I mean, it it often can feel like you're a therapist, right? And I actually considered that as a a field when I was younger, but that sort of like, even just a, like, tell me more about that. Like, what, like, what else are you, what are you seeing out there? What, what is it that you're hoping, what would make it worth that? Right. There are really interesting questions that you could be asking, like, how could we prove the value or what what are you looking to find or where did we miss the mark? One of the things, and I believe it's in this, in what your customer wants. I know I talk about it a lot, but my least favorite question and like what I'm on a mission to help people to not ask anymore, it's like personal vendetta against this thing is I really hate and People in sales do it a lot. And I want everyone to know my husband is someone who asks this question a lot. It's a very common thing to say, does that make sense? Oh, oh, you say it too. I see it. No, no, I, I agree. Well, I, I if, I, if I listened to the conversation, I would have done, but you're right. It's sort of, I've heard salespeople do it and it feels like a bit of a, it's a condescending question. It's a condescending Super. Super like, condescending. Or dumb. Does it make sense that I'm telling you? And it's like, it just, yeah, 
I, so when I would have people pitching me stuff, cause I used to, I, I ran a marketing department for a long time in, in my corporate days. Right. And you have people going, Oh, and does that make sense? And my immediate, it super ruffles my feathers. I'm like, well, I'm not stupid. So yeah. Right. But even if it didn't, it's not really setting someone up. You you're asking that question because you want to be able to help the other person. I'm going to assume, right. It's with good intent. I know you're not trying to make them feel bad or dumb, but it, you know, to say, no, I'm an idiot. I didn't get it. That's a really weird place to put people in, but you still need to understand, like check for understanding is still an important thing to do. The thing I've always recommended what I do instead in, is that I will say, did I explain that well? So that is about me. If, if they don't understand, it's not because they did anything wrong. I did a bad job explaining it and they can then tell me where there's a gap. And it's a lot easier to address in that way. This is another very simple reframe that can help people to feel better about connecting with you, right? So, you know, where did I miss the mark? Uh, or if somebody looks confused, can say, uh, looks like maybe I'm not explaining this well. Can you let me know where I might have missed the mark here? Right. Th again, easy to say, yeah, you you suck. You did a bad job. <laughs> and it's endearing, I think, in that way too. But it's such a good point. Again, I, and I talk a lot about it with, with the salespeople I work with. I talk about, you know, the mirror never lies. The mirror is your biggest friend in, in sales and business a lot of the time. It's like, if something's not gone well, you know, people will say, oh, they, 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 you know, to your point around, let's say that, you know, pricing. Oh, well, they, they, the buyer changed their mind or something happened. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Actually, the, the issue is in your shoes, okay? At the end of the day, you didn't do something that you could have done differently. Like you say, you could have presented it, could have shared it differently. You did the wrong thing at the wrong time, whatever. But it's in it's in your hands to do it. And I think it's a real... I, I, I Hence why I think maybe I'm in a, enjoying the elements around behavioral economics because... I do feel a lot of people want to blame. They want to blame something and someone else. A lot of businesses I see that want to blame are oh, the, the page, you know, Google, you know, the, the ads the ads didn't load properly or 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 you know the the, the landing page didn't work properly or whatever else. Rather than it actually being it could be the text that you put on that page just didn't engage the audience. How can we change that? It's yeah. like that blame. Salespeople definitely are the worst at it. They are oh, it's someone else's fault rather than theirs, rather than how they could adjust the way they said something or did something. Right. Well, and like, I think any finding, even a failed test. So I'm, I'm all about testing and whether, you know, even just simple AB tests are enough, but having, you can test everything really when it comes to behavioral science, everything matters. Tiny, tiny details that we don't think should be important have shown and proven over time to be really important. So you could test everything, but you can't, right? I mean, if unless you want to invest in an army of people, it's just not cost effective to do it. So being thoughtful about what matters, what it is that you're trying to do. And like when I work with clients, like say, um, we're working with a client on a drip campaign or uh, like trying to get a higher opt-in, right? But like, what do we want the person to do? Where are they now? When are they receiving this? What mindset are they in? And it's different, like, uh, you know, if we look at something being in an abandoned cart, let's say, right. I mean, it may be easy to say like, well, it was too expensive or they didn't want this. Like maybe they forgot, right. They got kids, they're busy. They're like choosing what you think the problem is, isn't always correct. And what feels like the first thing. Um, and so, you know, 
one minute after they abandoned the cart is in a different mind space than an hour after that abandoned cart, than 24 hours, than two weeks, right? The way they're thinking about this thing is very different. And you can't just send the same message every single time. And, you know, there are little tidbits that come into play. And, you know, the first thing you need them to do, the other thing that people tend to do is we think way too big, in, in getting behavior change. And if we remember to the 35,000 decisions I was talking about earlier, life happens in micro moments. It's micro decisions. It's lots of little teeny tiny things. And so there are lots of opportunities to look for points that are uh, what we talk about in nudges. So in behavioral science, so you're looking for nudgeable moments where you can just like get someone back on course and like help most people make a better decision. This is like where your car dings when you don't buckle your seatbelt, right? It's reminding you that's a nudge because you likely made an error and probably wanted to buckle your seatbelt, but you can't have the car dinging and making noises and flashing lights for every little thing because we would ignore them all. And it's the same kind of in sales, right? Where we say, well, we sent the postcard and they didn't do anything. So I guess they hate it. Or like we we sent the email and like they bought or they didn't, right? But you needed them first to open the email, right? You're getting past the subject line. And then you need them to notice the image or you need them to be intrigued by the header to keep reading. And then they need to click through and they get to the landing page and then they have to read about the product and they want to get more and they find pricing information. And then they're not distracted by Instagram and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. And when you break it into those tiny moments, there are lots of little opportunities where you can be testing and get that lift, but you don't, they're not all created equal. I went on a weird now, rant, I think. <laughs> I, you know, again, I mean, I talk to people a lot about Google Zero Moments of Truth and the report that you know, used to have years ago about 7.11.4, right, around how, you know, there was this thing, report that they did around how you needed seven hours of content, 11 interactions for media and that whole element of, and I guess the way I describe that to people is people have got to feel, all right, it depends on the product or service that you're buying, but actually people have got to feel familiar. They've got to, again, go back to your element around the, which part of the brain are you asking them to exercise? And if it's a brand new company or something they've never seen before, and most people, you know, I talk about in sales, like the fight or flight, most people, their barriers are up, right? This is going to hurt me. Therefore, I'm not going to go anywhere near it. So how do you bring the barriers down? How do you get them to trust? How do you get them to feel comfortable? And those are, like you say, those small aspects that you can do at different points that you guys are an experts in that, that when you make those tweaks over a period of time can then suddenly get the result people want. Yeah. And just finding those little opportunities that can be often the surprising detail that like delightful surprise and something that's mundane and no one else really thinks about are a really great opportunity to help you stand out. So, uh, two stories that come to mind here. One being when we think about, okay, there's a time of year where everyone sends gifts to their clients, right? Like, so in the period of time, it's like mid-November to the end of the year, everyone in the world is sending the like annual thing, right? Again, we're herding, yeah, herding species. So as someone who has clients or whatnot, you probably feel like you have to do it because everyone else is, whether it's a card or anything else. But because it's expected at that time and everyone's sending something and guaranteed someone is sending something flashier and more thoughtful than what you put together at that point. And you're just one of the pile and it just doesn't stand out at all. 
I always advise my clients, you know, check in and send something in April, like send a, a July gift of something. And if you can have your annual thing be happening in a totally other time of the year, it's unexpected. And it can be more of the like, oh my, I was thinking, we we're thinking about you and know you've got that big deadline coming up. So we wanted to send this to help you like show there's much more value in the reciprocity of giving when it's not that everyone else is, and you can even potentially spend way less and do it at the right time of year because you're going to stand out in a way that people will remember versus just being, you know, one of the pile that comes in at any given time. That is a delightful surprise that helps to build loyalty when it does come time to have those sales conversations. And I love it. You know, you, in the emails we've exchanged, you're, you're, you finish off every email with be thoughtful. And I think it's such a beautiful way of describing it, of actually, and I say to connecting the sales situation to people, actually put, you know, I, I talk about emotional intelligence being the critical thing for sales, but just put yourself in the shoes of that other person, right? That empathy that you could have that makes them think, hey, that was really nice of them, or okay, I didn't expect that, or wow, that was lovely, or, or and, and that's, you know, again, I talk in sales around credits and debits, you know, you've got small credits, if you build up enough credits, uh, you know, over a period of time, rather than the debits, which are things you do wrong, then eventually people start to build that like and, you know, association with you and then start to think, I really like Melina. She's lovely. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a conversation with her rather than the person that I could have had a conversation with that was was a bit less thoughtful, basically. So I, I mean, I mean that that whole line, you know, line that you use, I think is great because it's you know, I take from it is just think, just have a lot of think about stuff. Think and try and put yourself maybe in the shoes of someone else or, or what they're what they might want or do at that time. So um, yeah, I think the way you do it is great. Thank you. Yeah. So every episode of the podcast, as you know, ends with, you know, remember to be thoughtful. And then, you know, typically when I'm being interviewed for something, they're like, what's your top piece of advice? Right. And it's always this kind of be thoughtful. And like you said, it's my signature line. Um, and just that sp space of thoughtfulness. One, BE is capitalized for behavioral economics. So like that's a, a piece of it as well. A little like hidden Easter egg in there. And it is both in generosity, giving to others first, truly sales, business, life. It's all a very long game and giving first and knowing that, you know, the universe is going to come back to you in giving good stuff one way or another. And it's not just like, I gave you this, so you'll give me something more, but just comment on people's posts on social media, share them in a genuine way, do the little extra thing to say you're thinking about somebody and just genuinely be a kind, thoughtful person, <laughs> I think is always, you know, good advice for one. And, um, you know, asking good questions, being genuinely interested in people, that's always going to do well. The other piece of it is being thoughtful to your own decisions. So remembering you're making decisions on habit all the time as well. And so instead of when you click to open a link or you go to delete something immediately because you thought it was spam, you go, why did I think that? Like, why did I want this email, but not that one? Like, why did I buy this box of cereal and not that one? Why was I interested in this toothpaste? I wonder why it's on this shelf. Like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why they wrote it that way. That being a curious questioner yeah. is really, really impactful on helping just to get out of your own way and getting more exposure to your inner elephant <laughs> and, and then being able to communicate with others. 
And I, I love that. And, it, and it's, it's so, so true. Look, I'm uh, conscious for a time. I'm going to run out of time very carefully if you're not careful. I've, I've, I've been very selfish. So I've asked all of my questions, but I've, I've had a few people. <laughs> questions uh, when I put it on the post and so I wanted just to ask one question from a, from from someone who uh, and this is probably you know I, I can give her a self my sales answer but I want your you know brainy business and, and behavioral economics answer when and, and first of this you know when someone says they'll come back later and don't you know in other words when you know she was at an event recently and and, and a lot of small business owners get this right they get they, they get someone that will say oh you know I'll come back to you and I'll reply back to you and then they get ghosted. So any advice for, for if you're listening for listening, I've asked the question to Melina. So any advice for for what she should be doing? I, I've got a few ideas, but what are yours? Yeah. Well, um, I saw your answer too. So I'll try not to steal some of the thunder in that one. But um the thing that I have a I have a very good friend of mine who has a company called uh, Sales Maven. And one of the pieces of advice I got from her that I've always found really valuable, her name is Nikki Roush. She has some amazing books on sales and things as well. Um, and she's an expert in neuro-linguistic programming. She talks about uh, scheduling the circle back call before the person leaves. And I always do this. And it has such a big impact. Um, and she, she's just the kindest, most generous person. And so it's one of those where, you know, when someone says, oh, and I'll be, yeah, I want to talk to you and I'll, I'll follow up next week. So one being when you go to the networking event or people are coming by, don't just be like doing business card roulette or whatever, or like dealing out like me, 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 like, so putting the onus on someone else to say like, oh, follow up with me. Here's my card, right? Like, oh, you want a meeting with me? Mm, here's this. Another piece of information and like advice that has always guided me in my work. Uh, very early on, my husband had said to me as I was building this company, it's like, no matter how big you get, don't big time people, right? So always be treating them, like look at people in the eyes when you're talking to them, be very kind with the time. I always like, I'm always going to answer my own social media posts and things and comment instead of having AI or an assistant do it. And same thing, you know, when you meet someone at an event, instead of putting the responsibility on them to follow up with you, like, how can you be the person to then say, well, do you have a card? I'd love to follow up with you next week would be one thing, right? Um, Nikki's advice that I was getting to there where it's saying, you know, I like I keep my calendar right here on the phone. Uh, do you want to go ahead? We can set up a time to circle back next week, you know, because after the buzz of all this event, you know, how's Tuesday look for you? Like once you're on the calendar, it's really hard to say like you're going to it's harder to decline it. And likely that and in that moment, that person may say, um, maybe not. Right. And that helps to weed out people that are just being nice. Like that are saying like, oh, I want to talk to you. And you go the one little bit further and then they're like, eh, maybe not. And you can tell like they're just being kind to you. Whereas someone's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Like, you know, that's a warmer lead and you don't have to waste time on people that aren't genuinely interested or a fit for what they're doing. But they may still give you their card. You could follow up. And even if it's a not, it, it might be a not yet and not a no, right? And so being continuing to be kind and and giving them some information, say, I thought about you said this and oh my gosh, I saw this article, you know, those little bits, you know, who knows who that person might know or whatever that'll come down the line. So it was kind of a roundabout answer, but hopefully it helped. <laughs> Brilliant answer. Again, and, and I think like you say, because people are nice, especially in Britain, right? And British, you know, we're very British. We're very, okay, it's all fine and super and that's okay. And, you know, I don't want to offend 
Whereas, you know, I've got some a team in, in South Africa and they can be quite direct, right? They're like, no, I don't want to do that. And actually it's sort of, you know, especially people in the UK, it can be that much more of a challenge. But uh, I would say, you know, to people, it's that if they really want to do something, if you, especially in sales and selling, if you've got someone that's got a challenge and you've been helped when you've built relationships and, you you know, they think you're not just there to make and take advantage of them, but really solve a problem for them, they're going to want to have a conversation. They're going to want to discuss things with you. They're going to want to you to be in that position so uh, I, I guess it's like you say it's just thinking a bit i also go back to that point of thinking a bit like them what what are they thinking are they thinking mm, this is okay but it's not for me or are they actually thinking mm, actually this could be interesting but i don't want to be sold to or what are they going what's going on in their head and actually if they probably are thinking those things then just say hey look i don't want to sell to you i just want to have a conversation with you have a come and if it's not right hey no worries we've only lost and i say to people i've only lost 15 minutes if it's only if it's not right we've only lost 15 minutes half hour okay cool so it sort of makes them feel like, I call it the release valve, that people then feel, oh, I'm not going to be sold to. So they then are open up to have a conversation. If you then are interested in them, they're more likely to to want to to, to build and talk further from there. So um, which actually leads me on to one of my other questions that, that someone has said to me, which is they have a landing page that's not converting. What should they, what should be the top three things they do on that landing page to try and find out why? Hmm. Well, uh, this gets into, I, I, I need a mug slash t-shirt that says it depends, right? This is my go-to phrase on everything is always, it depends. Uh, and if you are going to be stepping in and trying to figure out what's going wrong, uh, so I do have an episode of the brainy business. It was episode two, actually. So like way, way at the beginning, uh, which is called the top five wording mistakes businesses make. And so this is a good thing to go check out. Um, and it's set up all, all the episodes. You can go to the brainy slash two, and you can find it the number two. Um, so some of the top things that come up is there's too much going on. I'm pretty sure. And if you ever are asking is there too much text here? I can tell you the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I always encourage people to do is to look for what is the least amount of information you need to say to get the person to that next step, that next piece of the puzzle. And again, thinking in those micro moments and just do that. And you can have answers for everything else, places where they can go find more, but don't try to do everything in every spot all of the time. So it's likely that it's a bit confusing. There are too many journeys. You're trying to speak to too many people, keeping it a little bit too general, too vague, that people aren't sure what they're supposed to be doing. And they don't see themselves in that text immediately. They're not being like pulled in by the images or anything there. So the other thing I ask people is to say, so if this page, this spot, this micro moment, if you only get one thing, what's the most important thing that's going to come from this piece right here? And it's not like, okay, someone saw us on Facebook or saw an Instagram post and it's their first interaction and they're going to go buy a million dollar product from us as the ultimate goal, right? Like, we, we need to be realistic in what the next step is. And so like, I have a client who, um, you know, there's a lot of like, if you want this or this, and like so many of us, we do lots of things, right? But at the end of the day, even though this person has, she has multiple paths, you know, you could be working with a team, you can be in a corporate environment, you can be a small business or an individual, but the the vibe that she gives people, the benefit that they get really is the same 
regardless of what they need. So knowing that journey and then say, but everybody has to book a call with her to be able to determine what the fit is and have that sale. So really all she needs her website to do is to be compelling enough to get someone to book a call. And that's it. That That's the dream, right? And so getting more people to call you is the top of what she has. And so now as you work together and converting it to make it so it's super easy, like compelling, I see myself in this piece. How do I learn more? What happens? And making it so the only call to action, really, the main one is just book a call, schedule some time, get on the calendar. I like a let's chat button, uh, I think is much easier commitment than uh, like buy now, which can feel very aggressive. I'm not ready yet. Uh, So, you know, being thoughtful to saying less, which I obviously am very good at as I'm kind of uh, going on and on here. Uh, But uh, knowing what you want someone to do, making that really clear. And then also, I always say to have it so that your imagery and word choice is really supporting the emotion that you want someone to be feeling uh, in that moment, because we process imagery much faster than we do words. And that can do a lot of heavy lifting for you if you pick the right image. Amazing, amazing syntax. Look, um, well, I, I, I've, you've been incredibly gracious with your time, and it's uh, we've been I've been on the I've been chatting to you for for, for nearly 40, 40 odd, 45 minutes now. And I'm going to run out of my time for you've got other stuff to do. So I, I have got other questions, but unfortunately, they're going to have to wait till another time because we'll get you back on maybe in, in the future. But it's it, incredible to um, to chat. You. One one other sort of you know final thing, final question for me, maybe before we then sort of get encourage people to, we'll, we'll talk about like the, the, the idea that we, the, the composition of how we can get um, everyone to feel excited about what we're doing. But um, what would you say to anyone that's, you know, as a final sort of tip, if they're just sort of hearing this for the first time, and obviously they're, they're trying to sort of get their head around behavioral economics, would you give one, I know you mentioned the framing as, as the first part, but is there any one simple tip for anyone in sales or business that, thinking, well, actually, I, I do like the idea of this, but I'm not sure where to start. Where should, is there anywhere that, where they should start? Is there one thing that you think actually every business or every salesperson should be doing right now to see how they can yeah, change their mindset to think differently about BE and, and, and what it can do for people? Sure. Yeah. Well, the, um, you know, first I've already said the be thoughtful piece. So we, you know, we can rewind a couple minutes to get some of what that kind of means, but, you know, questioning your own, choices and how you do things, being more thoughtful, looking for these opportunities, knowing that the way you encountered a problem isn't necessarily what the problem, all of the story and, you know, trying to think more there. Um, I truly do think, and there are lots of resources I share where I interview just amazing people doing really great work across the field of the greater behavioral sciences on the brainy business. And so I think that podcast is really a great resource for people. Um, and like, yes, you know, books too, but you may find, um, you know, that there's something that is going to resonate with you. I can pretty well guarantee it. And for anybody, for everyone, right. To go with what I was saying before, uh, if you do have something we say, Oh, I really, I'd be interested. How does it apply to this? Right. I'm, I'm thinking about this, but how would I use it in this context? Please do connect with me on LinkedIn, Melina Palmer. You can find me. You can email Melina at thebrainybusiness.com. I really do answer my emails. It's me. <laughs> I'm there on <laughs> social media. You can find me as the Brainy Biz on the other channels as well. 
And there are over 300 episodes of the podcast now. So while I know it's maybe not easy to go and find, you know, exactly where you would start with for your exact um, thing you're working on, if you do have a question and want me to point you in the right direction or to someone else's show or book or course or whatever it is you're trying to do, I do try to be helpful whenever I can and support people on the journey because I know, you know, there's a a vast trove of knowledge that you're just kind of uncovering. And so to help point you in the right direction, I'm I'm always happy to do if I can. Amazing. Well, look, you've been um, so incredibly gracious for your time. And the fact that you do that says huge amounts of things about you. And I was thinking about you the other day when you would, when we've had our conversation about booking this up. And I don't know if you know, because obviously you've you mentioned you're a Harry Potter fan and they, they do in London in King's Cross once a year. I don't know if you heard, do you know this, that they do this once a year thing. And I was wondering whether you might come over one time because I'm not, I have to say, I'm not, I'm, I maybe you, you'll end the interview now because I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan. I've watched the film and that sort of stuff. But I was watching this thing at King's Cross where they literally do for this one moment. I never realized it happened for this one moment in time. They do this announcement of when the train's going to be on nine and three quarters. Right. So, yep. Yeah. So everybody gets there. It's the, yeah, the first day that everyone would be taking the train to Hogwarts in the books, you know, that that's there at King's Cross. I have been to King's Cross and done the whole like picture with the, you know, there's the, the trolley going halfway through the wall and whatnot. And you can see, and I don't know if you actually use the video of this, but so showing some of my nerd, um, I know. And now I'm like this blue guy, this is, uh, not even so being a super Harry Potter nerd that is Albus Dumbledore's Patronus of Fox, the <laughs> Phoenix that I have a Funko of. It's super cool. So I've got lots of fun nerdy things. I've also got Ted Lasso in here and, and, and cool stuff. So anyway, no, I love it's, it. it's great. Well, I mean, I think the world has been inspired by JK Rowling and what she's done, especially with her story, right? Cause I mean, at the end of the day, she was going through tough times and, and uh, when she wrote what she did and she'll live in history as, as I think she'll go down like a Shakespeare. So as someone that's created something quite incredible, especially with the way the, you know, the books and the films of, you know, put, put certainly, you know, it's good. Sometimes we need things in Britain to put things on the map that are good. So we don't, we haven't got the stardom that Hollywood has. So we've got to do things in a slightly different way in the UK, but look, uh, so incredible. Thank you so much for your time. What we're going to do is, um, so there's Melina's book, What Your Customer Wants and Can't Tell You. And I'm going to move it again. So what I'm going to do for um, for for everyone that wants to see, I've, I've tried to make sure I'm learning. For everyone that wants to, <laughs> to, to, to go and get excited about the book, I'm going to put a, a little link in the show notes for form. And for the first three people that basically sign up and send me their details, I'm going to send you a copy. I'm going to buy it because I think Melina's books are brilliant. Uh, I'm going to buy it. And I might even I might even talk to you. It depends on when this podcast comes out. I'm not sure when it will be, but um, I might even see if the, the pricing one's on pre-order and get them a copy of that sent as well because that's going to be – when is that out? In when, and when can we expect it in the UK? Because obviously you guys in the US are going to get it first. When When's the UK going to happen? All right. So UK, I have found, you know, now two and, you know, a third book coming out is its own animal when it comes to delivery dates. So I do not know for sure. Uh, and even what is said doesn't always work out. But uh, the the truth about pricing is already on pre-order. So you should be able to go, you know, Amazon and whatnot and, and go get that. And it is releasing in the U.S. at least January 9th of 2024. And typically, actually, lots of areas across Europe can still get it at that same time. And often the UK is maybe a month after, but sometimes it's closer. We never know. Made it after season. That's five years ago. But anyway, we're not going to go there anymore. <laughs> 
subject levels that we'll, we'll be here all day. But no, okay. So around sort of maybe early next next summer, sorry, any next spring, sorry, that will be the time frame maybe when it can hopefully come right around the first, right around the first of the year. It should be be coming around, I believe. Yeah, and I know you also have uh, an offer we we can also put in there for anyone that just wants to get a copy of the first chapter, which you're happy to share as well, aren't you? I think so, um, which we'll then can put in the show notes. So the first three people get an actual copy of the book, which I definitely, as I say, I always love, um, encourage people. There's so many things when I'm, I keep it in my, in my bag and I read it when I'm on the tube, when I'm in London. It's just little <laughs> snippets of things you one of those books I think is actually transformational in how it helps people, marketers and sales and business people do different things. So uh, it's an absolute privilege and pleasure to speak to you. And thank you so much for giving up your time and this evening or this, this morning for you and this evening for me. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Great stuff. Thanks, Melina. So there we have it. There was Melina Palmer, um, author of the What Your Customer Wants and What Your Employees Need. Um, I'm going to buy the employees book as well. I need to do that. But uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please. Uh, download it make sure you follow melina's podcast as well and 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 take a listen to especially episode number two i'm going to go back to episode number two as she mentioned but um that's it from us today on the podcast thanks so much for watching and listening if you're on youtube for listening and wherever you are and we'll see you next week so thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope you've enjoyed if you have please subscribe to the podcast it helps us ensure more people can get the insights and ideas they need to get incredible sales results look forward to seeing you on the next episode